What gets your blood rushing? Although many answers may be correct, the one I was looking for was exercise. We often think about the increased heart rate that comes with exercising, but some scientists care a little bit more about the blood flow through your muscles. Blood is throwing through my muscles right now, albeit at a much slower rate than if I was exercising. And blood is throwing through my brain as I record audio for this radio show. And my brain is telling me that the brain is a muscle. And my brain is telling me that I need to introduce myself as Louis Colorotolo, a graduate student at the University of Guelph, trying my absolute best to use this silly, mushy, bloody brain to get a PhD in food science. My brain and I like to interview different graduate students all across the world about what they're doing in grad school, how it's important to our everyday lives, and why any of us should really even care. And today we are talking with Jeremy Cohen who studies blood flow through exercise. So I sat down with Jeremy, who probably would have preferred to be standing in place, and we talked about the ins and outs of how our bodies change when we exercise. So if you happen to be exercising while listening to this recording, use a little bit of that blood in your brain so you can focus on what we're talking about and learn that there are potential benefits from, you know, walking. And Jeremy is going to give us some very controversial information today. Spoil alert, he thinks exercise is important. Either way, Jeremy and I are just graduate students and we don't know everything, which is why you're listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff. Hi Jeremy, how are you doing today? Good, I'm doing great, how are you? I am fine over here. Could you uh, walk us through your educational history? Yeah, so I'm currently a master's student at the University of Guelph, um, studying in cardiovascular exercise physiology. I was also an undergrad at the University of Guelph. I did my Bachelor of Science in Human Kinetics here. So you, you're, you're Guelph all the way through. You have not left. I have not left. It's uh, year six now. Year six at the same place. Yeah. That's, that's like a lot of commitment. I'm not sure I could do that. <laughs> So you, uh, you study something that a lot of people do somewhat every day, to yeah. some degree. I hope. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, give us a quick introduction. Uh, yeah, so exercise physiology, we study the, uh, the body and how it reacts and responds and adapts to exercise, and specifically looking at the cardiovascular system. So that's the heart, the arteries, the veins, and how all these different systems uh, work together during exercise and in recovery from exercise. All right, so I'm thinking right off the bat, there are probably people who are like, yes, I love exercise. And then there are an equal, maybe more people who are like, I absolutely hate exercise. And I don't wanna go, I don't, I don't wanna ask a question that's like a little bit too complex, but exercise is good for you, isn't it? Exercise is good for you. All right, everyone, you heard it here first. <laughs> exercise is good for you. So tell, tell me, like, uh, what, what's happening in your heart when you exercise? Sure. So, I mean, there's a, a number of things happening all along the uh, cardiovascular system as you begin to exercise and start increasing things like stroke volume. So that's how much blood is being pumped out of the heart per beat. And the heart rate, we're all familiar with, it starts going faster. And that ultimately increases the blood flow to the active muscles. And... Uh, that's delivering oxygen, so that's going to help us produce energy and, and do those movements. All right, so that's, you know, those are the basics of it. Exercise, good. Blood, blood has to go places. Blood goes places faster when we're exercising. 
why do we want blood to go places faster? Sure. Uh, so the blood brings a lot of nutrients with it. And we know that one of those nutrients is going to be glucose, for example, uh, alongside oxygen. And really, those are the two main drivers of energy production uh, to cause movement. And oftentimes, there's maybe too much of that glucose in the blood uh, we find in our modern society. Uh, so that's really one of the topics that I focused on is how can we deliver more glucose to the, to the muscles and use it? Uh, because if there's no movement happening, it's not being used. And that's when we start to see problems uh, related to inactivity. Okay, so glucose, sugar, love it. One of our favorite things as humans. Yes. Too much? No bueno. Usually. <laughs> yeah, uh, in simplified <laughs> yeah. terms. Yeah. In simplified it, terms. One of our favorite lines is, it depends. It depends. That yes. is the most scientific term you might ever hear yes. on public radio. <laughs> so you, uh, you consume uh, some amount of sugar in foods, and it doesn't even have to be that white sugar. It could be sugar of all different types of sources. Breaks down into glucose, and then it's kind of sitting around. Yeah, sitting around in the blood waiting for something to happen um if it's not going to be used for uh active energy uh, production so typically that happens through exercise or just our normal bodily functions uh which is mandatory to survive but obviously we can upregulate that to a considerable degree and when we start uh, consuming more sugar or more nutrients than than we need that's when you start to see the problems where it's being put aside and it's, it's turning into fat and manifesting into to further issues. Ah, uh, yeah, because right, it's not just body fat that's the issue. It brings upon a whole host of different effects in the body. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we want to be able to use this sugar. So, mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to simplify it too, too much, but if we're putting sugar into our body, we need to use it to breathe, right? Yep, that's that's uh, rule number one. And brain, heart, brain, heart, other things. Your toes need a little bit of sugar. Definitely, <laughs> definitely <laughs> less. A little less, a little less, a little less. So we we have a, like a certain amount of energy that we use throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But then there's a little bit extra energy left over. Yep, typically. And if we don't use that energy, it goes where. Uh, it's probably going to be stored as fat. Okay. Um, and that is sometimes good. Right? Yeah. That's a depend situation. Yep. Yep. For sure. But it's then... A, okay. uh, it's a survival mechanism, really, is where it stems from. Yep. Absolutely. Got to keep warm in the winter months like a bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then uh, you exercise and you use the sugar that's in your blood. Yep. And, and what's stored in the muscle. We can oh. store sugar um, in the blood for sort of quick sugar usage, and then it's also stored in the muscle, and that's kind of a, uh, a safer spot for it, if you will. Okay, so what? Okay, I mean, I don't need to know exactly how the sugar gets in your muscle, but how do we uh, determine whether the sugar is in your muscle or if it's in your blood? Um, well, it, it comes in through the mouth and the uh, gastrointestinal system and absorbed into the blood so it starts in the blood okay is kind of where things begin but then it needs to be deposited into the muscle and there's different 
different factors that will influence how much and how quickly it's going to be deposited into the muscle and how much is starting in the muscle. And really the only way to measure what's in the muscle is to do a direct sample of the muscle, which is really not practical. That sounds like it hurt. Yes, it's, uh, it's not the best. Ouch. But we, we, have, we have a good understanding of how, how this works already um, and can kind of work around that framework. And we know that when we exercise, we deplete that sugar that's in the muscle and which allows for it to be uh, replenished afterwards. Okay, so then you study more or less this cycle. Sure, yeah. The, the cycle of sugar usage and delivery. All right, so uh, now, now that we've covered the basics, exercise, sugar, sometimes good, sometimes too much, go into a little bit deeper of what you do. Yeah, so specifically what I'm studying is the interaction of blood flow and insulin, which is uh, one of the primary hormones regulating sugar metabolism in the body, and how these things interact uh, during exercise and during other uh, manipulations that we can do to the muscle and to the circulation. So specifically with uh, blood flow restriction is one technique that we're uh, focusing on. And essentially what that is, is we place a cuff over top of a muscle, usually around the quads or the thighs, and we inflate that cuff really tight and restrict the blood flow, which sounds a little crazy. Um, but what that does is it causes a environment inside the muscle, which might resemble something similar to exercise is what people are kind of thinking. Uh, it hasn't been studied to the fullest extent, uh, but that's sort of the train of thought. And then upon release of that cuff, you get this massive rush of blood. So kind of similar to exercise, you get an increase in blood flow. So some of these things might be interacting to, uh, to manipulate how, how the muscle um, works with glucose and, and starts using more of it. So, all right, uh, is this device that you're using kind of like basically a blood pressure cup, like you would get that your blood is pressure checked? Exactly what it is, except we are inflating it for about maybe five minutes as oh. opposed to those. Does that ten... hurt? It can hurt. Like because it, it, it can be uncomfortable. Okay, all right. Yeah, it can hurt, but it's sort of a an, uh, an odd feeling. And then when you get that release of the cuff, it's it's. Uh, so nice when that blood flow <laughs> returns. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking right off the bat, not that I'm trying to, you know, make a product here, you know, cash in for a quick buck. Mm -hmm. uh, let's call it a, a lazy people fitness. Okay. Could I create cuffs all over my body and just inflate them and deflate them for a series of like, I don't know, maybe one or two hours a day? Yeah. Am I exercising? Uh, I would argue no, uh, because there are so many other aspects of mm -hmm. exercise that you would be missing out on. And like, even from like a psychological perspective, I'm certainly no expert in exercise psychology, That's but, thing. but there's totally benefits from exercise on mental health and, uh, being. So you probably won't be getting those benefits. Uh, I'm specifically focusing on blood flow and sugar metabolism, uh, at the level of the muscle. All right, so uh, you are creating this pressure on the muscle, restricting the blood flow. Yeah. And then you are releasing that blood flow. Yes. Okay. Why? That's, well, that's the hypothesis. That's the idea. 
Um, we don't know if this necessarily works. In theory, it should. It should work better than sitting on the couch. Uh, it will not replace exercise. I, I don't think anyone will try to argue that. Um, <laughs> Except me. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the gym and, and riding the spin bike will, will always be superior. Um, but it's interesting for us to try to understand how, how blood flow is playing a role in this, in this process. Because when you do real exercise, there's so many other factors that are working into the equation. So we're trying to isolate down to what is causing these changes. Yeah, and I, I think that, that a majority of work in science goes into trying to observe one thing. Yeah, the reductionist time. approach. Right, and it's, it's, it takes a really long time to do that. Mm -hmm. So you specifically are looking at the change in, is it, is it blood pressure technically that you're looking at? Uh, not blood pressure necessarily, more so blood flow. What, what's, well, what's the difference? <laughs> Excellent question. Uh, pressure is related to flow. Um, pressure is going to be dependent on the volume and the diameter of the, the vessel, the tube, the, the artery, really. Um, and the flow is simply the volume ah, okay. that is passing through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you exercise, you are increasing the flow. Yep. And when you stop exercising, it slowly decreases? Does it decrease right away? Uh, it actually decreases quite rapidly. Okay. But there are other effects that persist longer. So things like changes in glucose metabolism and uh, depositing that sugar into the muscle, like we were talking about, um, that will actually stay elevated for like a period of days uh, post, post an exercise bout. Um, and it's not, it's not simply related to the, the flow at that point. There's changes that have occurred inside the muscle. The, the signaling has changed. It, the muscle wants to take up that sugar that exists in the blood. And uh, that's how that works. Now, is this anything related to like when people... Your body remains more active after a strength exercise than it does after a cardio exercise. Short answer is it depends. Okay. Hey, there we go. There it is. Um, yeah. It, it, it will depend on the, the intensity of both and the, the duration of both and sort of how you define um, being active. Like, what, what does that mean? Does that mean the muscle is signaling for changes in strength and, and size? Or is it uh, blood flow related? Is it some other hormones that are circulating? All right, so, so it depends. But yeah, it really does. When it comes down to blood flow, the blood flow stops pretty fast. Well, not it doesn't stop, you die. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it goes back to baseline levels relatively quickly, like a handful of minutes. So then why is that important? Like, why, why, why are we spending all this money studying this kind of thing? Uh, well, I mean, blood flow is the number one mechanism of nutrient delivery. We cannot do anything without it. So it really makes sense to, to study it. And if we can sort of manipulate that in periods where we're not typically getting high blood flow, then that presents like a interesting treatment strategy because you know typically we might exercise only once or twice a week or once a day, but there's many hours in the day and in the week where we're having very low blood flow. And if there was some sort of strategy where we could increase that without too much input from, I don't know, the brain, I suppose, um, there, there, you could see the benefit there. Oh, interesting. So there, we're not trying to replace exercise. 
No. No. You can't do that. There's no exercise pill. Many have tried. Are we, are we still trying though? Is there anyone still working on that one? I think there's still infomercials trying that. Can I donate money to these causes? <laughs> yeah, you can donate to the GoFundMe. <laughs> to the GoFundMe for, oh God, all of those, all of those green tea diets, that fat flush and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Ooh, nonsense, nonsense. So, all right, you, you study what is happening as far as the, the blood flow in the muscles uh, during, quote unquote, during exercise and after exercise. Um, ultimately, what do you want to do with this information? Uh, ultimately, the applications of this are quite wide spanning, especially in today's day and age with the obesity pandemic and specifically diabetes uh, we're seeing on the rise. And that is a primarily a blood sugar control issue. Uh, where those individuals need some sort of mechanism that can help burn more sugar and maintain a, a lower blood sugar level. Okay, you know, and I, and I really, this is not my field at all, but uh, someone with diabetes has a tougher time uh, regulating their blood sugar. Correct. So that, that, let's just say, like, let's not get into too much more than that. They have trouble controlling their blood sugar. What you're trying to find out, if I understand correctly, is, is there a way in order to, like, change the blood flow, which might change the blood sugar levels without exercise? Correct. In its simplest form, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So now let's take it up to the less simplest form. Okay. <laughs> Down to the nitty gritty? We're, we're going to get nitty gritty. Let's get a little nitty gritty. All right. We can't really exactly mimic exercise without yes. <laughs> exercising yes uh, so far i've like i think that's like the fourth time i've tried to like get around exercising in this episode already but uh, <laughs> but we, we can't mimic the exercise but you in the labs are trying to do something that somewhat uh, resembles how the blood flows during exercise yeah we're trying to resemble that that scenario and some of those some of those stimuli, so the increased blood flow and uh, perhaps an environment inside the muscle that to maybe trick the muscle into thinking it is exercising, perhaps. So you're, you're kind of doing a fundamental sort of research on this stuff. Yeah, you could, you could say that at the human level. At the human level. All right, so that was exactly where I was going to go next. You work with human subjects. Yes, uh, whole body human subjects. Okay, so you get people, you put up a poster on like a lamppost or something. Yeah. It says like, need humans to squeeze their muscles. Pretty much. Okay. Fair, Fair enough. Uh, you, you compensate them nicely? Uh, typically not. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, there's not a ton of funding in this uh, area, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, so we do rely on people volunteering their time out of the good of their heart for the better of science. Um, where I would we be without Honestly, yeah. like that is how so much science is done. I volunteered. I've had things put into my body and yeah, and all kinds of concoctions. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, super important. All right, you get people over. Mm -hmm. You strap on this blood pressure cuff of some sort, and you measure these things. Are you actively measuring what is happening while the cuff is on them? 
Uh, yeah, so we can directly measure blood flow uh, to the muscle while the cuff is on and after it's been released. So we use ultrasound to do that. And typically we'll be imaging at the femoral artery. So it kind of sits at the crease of your hip. So it is, it's in the groin region. It's, it's a very personal measurement. Uh, we, uh, we keep everything everything safe, mm-hmm. uh, but it's certainly a, a personal measurement. And, but it really allows us to get at the blood flow to the whole leg. And that's what's really important to us because we know there's one artery supplying the whole leg. And so then we can then say, this is the whole leg blood flow. And there's really no other limb or area in the body where we can get a measurement like that and, uh, and say this is the blood flow to the whole limb. And that's just due to the anatomy uh, of our bodies. Oh, so you found a way to even further narrow down where like the blood is going. You, you were saying earlier, it's all about, you know, trying to change only one little thing. So if you were testing the arm, or if you were, I mean, I don't know what else, the chest, or something like that. There's a lot of arteries that go into those muscles. Yes, and they're just less easily isolated. Mm. Okay, so if you're testing the femoral artery, which femoral, like femur, is that where that? Yep, it runs along the femur. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, you are using ultrasound. Is how close is this to like what we see ultrasound in like a pregnancy uh, kind of situation? Yeah, so it's it's really the same technology um, that we're using for for the ultrasound. It's just a different probe that we use. Ours is a, a linear probe and it allows for a linear view of uh, what's beneath it. And in our case, it's, it's arteries. We can also image muscles and hearts and pretty much anything uh, with it, but we, we specifically isolate the artery. Okay, so then there, there's gotta be some other things you're looking at. We, we, all right, we're manipulating with the blood cuff. We're doing ultrasound. Are we measuring other things like heart rate and stuff like that? Yeah, heart rate and blood pressure, we will also be measuring sort of on the side. Uh, we typically do that with a finger blood pressure cuff. Mm. So it's actually a pretty nifty cuff that goes on your middle finger and it kind of pulses with your heart rate and it uses a photoplethysmography, big word. That is, one more time? Photoplethysmography. What? Yeah. It Say sounds like five a times dinosaur. Fast. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, so what that does is it uses light, so photo, and it, it measures uh, the flow in, in your finger artery. And that just gives us an indication of heart rate, and it can also measure or estimate blood pressure. And that's sort of a side measurement. We're not using that as our primary outcome, but it's, uh, it's good to have on the side. And then we'll also be looking at blood sugar uh, throughout, and that's done with a uh, finger prick glucose monitor. So diabetics would be very familiar with these, where you do a little prick with a, a lancet on the fingertip, get a drop of blood, goes in the glucometer device, and it spits out the glucose uh, reading. All right. So then, when you're when you're doing this, you're you're finding that the glucose level is changing from the the holding on the pressure and then releasing the pressure. Uh, I'm not finding anything currently (laughs) due to this pandemic. I am hoping to find these things soon. All right. All right. Yeah, that is, uh, wow. That sums up so very well. Yes. All right. So uh, you get a whole bunch of willing volunteers who don't mind getting their fingers pricked and their um, delicate regions probed. Sure. (laughs) Uh, And uh, you want to do all of these different things and look if... 
uh, things like the glucose level is changing. You want to look if the heart rate is changing. Yep, and the limb blood flow. And the limb blood flow. Limb blood flow is the main one, right? Yeah, limb blood flow and uh, blood glucose will be our two primary outcome measures mm -hmm. that, we're, that we're concerned with. All right, so then if we're thinking kind of uh, further, further down the road, we're talking years, year, hopefully, I mean, honestly, hopefully, you still won't be at University of Guelph. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. uh, if we're talking farther down, um, if they find out that this system works, could we end up using something like this to study how uh, muscles change during exercise? Uh, it, it will certainly provide insight to... Uh, to how blood flow is being regulated and, and how that impacts changes in recovery and uh, specifically sugar metabolism. All right, so you study this, right? And, and, and did you do your, your uh, undergraduate in some sort of exercise physiology? Uh, yeah, I did a well, human kinetics degree and I did a undergraduate project in my current lab now uh, in cardiovascular physiology. But okay. Different so topic. Those are oh yeah okay, okay, okay different topic same sort of uh, field. Yeah. Um. You then I can see you are wearing a Fitbit. Uh, Apple Watch. Oh, he's he's wearing a smart device of some yes. sort, and it is collecting your heart rate. It probably is right now. Right now. Okay. Yeah. So then, with all of this said, how would you say that what you have researched has changed the way that you? Uh, view exercise and, and potentially even exercise yourself. Oh, absolutely. I've certainly changed my own behaviors um, from getting a better understanding of how the body responds to different types of exercise. Uh, I used to be more of a gym rat type, I'd say, enjoyed yeah. lifting weights. And maybe this was also kind of spurred by the pandemic, but I've now really shifted to an aerobic style exerciser, big cyclist these days. And I attribute a, a lot of it to just reading in this field and kind of understanding the way the body responds to the different types of exercise. And I've been convinced that aerobic exercise is the way to go. And I think it offers the most benefit and it brings me the most joy, which is really the most important part of any exercise. Uh, so, okay, uh, you said aerobic exercise. Could we, could we clarify what an aerobic exercise versus an anaerobic, I'm assuming, exercise is? Yeah, that, that would be the opposite to it. So simply those terms aerobic and anaerobic mean with oxygen or without oxygen. So if you exercise while holding your breath, yeah, that would be anaerobic. That also won't last very long. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Officially not recommended. Uh, but yes, an aerobic exercise is, you know, classically jogging, cycling, walking, uh, these types of like lower intensity, uh, but longer lasting. And you're using oxygen to produce energy. That is aerobic metabolism and energy production. Uh, versus anaerobic, which is typically considered more like powerful and strength type exercises. And the energy production pathways are very complex within the muscle, but simply they don't require oxygen to create that energy. And that's why it's called anaerobic. But the trade-off is it's very short lasting and you can't do it for very long. So that's why you need large breaks to kind of recover. Uh, things have to re-synthesize in the muscle so that they can do it again uh, for that short period. So sprint type stuff and weightlifting, uh, all those types of things are considered more anaerobic. 
All right, so aerobic exercise, in your opinion, right? These are really all opinions to some degree. All opinions. Learned opinions. It's not like you just decided this one day. You read a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've been sitting at home for a year now reading. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's quickly uh, go over the difference between sitting and walking. Like, you hear it everywhere. Oh my god, you can't you can't escape it. And saying like, oh, take a walk during lunch, or mm-hmm. you know, like instead of sitting around, just go for a walk. And a lot of times, I, I hear this information. I think to myself like, God, walking can't be that good for you. You might be wrong. <laughs> All right, prove me wrong. Well, um, it's funny you bring that up. That's actually kind of a whole field of research people have studied specifically with relation to cardiovascular system and the arteries and sitting induced. Um, dysfunction of the arteries and there's been a lot of work done on how just sitting for periods over two hours can induce um, an acute dysfunction of the arteries in the legs specifically oh wow that sounds terrible it sounds terrible but i mean obviously a lot of us do it and are okay um but really there are there are benefits to to keeping the blood flow up throughout the day and having having those oscillations uh in flow Right, because you can't be expected to be moving 24-7. Of course not. So you're, you're suggesting that maybe uh, taking small, short, but plenty breaks mm-hmm. into stand and stretch and, and move around is a, a good idea for your blood flow? Absolutely. Okay, so when it comes down to it, you're studying a whole bunch of different things. Could you really just summarize Everything we talked about for the past 30 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. So specifically with my research, I am studying how the blood flow interacts with the muscle and how we can perturb these systems with different techniques and specifically muscle contractions and blood flow restriction. And how can we use these things together or in isolation to manipulate sugar uh, because that's our fuel source and that delivery of it and and metabolism of it uh, to ultimately lead to better health in both chronic disease situations and as well as athletes. We didn't really get into this, but there are certainly potential applications here in athletes uh, who are sort of at the other end of the spectrum and burning a lot of sugar and would like to be able to burn sugar faster and longer. Uh, There's certainly benefits associated with that. So this is so Michael Phelps doesn't have to eat like 10 pounds of pasta a day? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it would necessarily change his intakes, but there certainly could be applications in how these athletes are storing sugar. And if they could store more, um, that is beneficial. Okay, so if you can store more, you can access it later when you need it. Exactly. All right, that is a definitely interesting thing. But there's like a lot of work one would have to do before we can come to these kinds of conclusions, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's really, especially with the blood flow restriction and sugar metabolism work, um, very little has been done at this point, and there's a lot to be done. And that's why we mentioned, you know, I'm starting at this very small level with reductionist approach uh, to understand at the leg how this happens in the controlled laboratory state. So to, to roll that out all the way to... You know the the diabetic population, the athlete population. Um, there's there's many years left to go. Yeah, that's that's science. Yeah, that's, right? that's the way it rolls. It's going to take a long time before too much comes from it. But hey, it's incredibly important stuff that you're doing at the very small level. Yeah, and it, it's exciting. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. It was a real pleasure. Yes. Thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think um, I'm going to like stand up now. Yeah, like, I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Okay. Very good. We'll both stand up on three. Doesn't listen to this episode with Jeremy Cohen talking about exercising and what is happening in our muscles when we do it make you want to stand up and go for a run? Well, during the recording, I was feeling particularly cheeky, and I tried to stand up, and I knocked over all of the audio equipment. And it went to something a little bit like this. All right, so, I, I mean, you heard it here, right? Um, yeah, I feel like now I have to... I'll give myself full credit for effort and intention and partial credit for execution. However, we are going to give full marks to Jeremy Cohen, who explained the ins and the outs of what blood is doing in your body when you exercise. But don't run away just yet, because as we just finished an episode of We Know Some Stuff, we get to the part at the end of every episode where we admit that we don't know all the stuff. Therefore, we are going to be doing a fact check, just to make sure that we got everything right. Both Jeremy and I listened to this episode multiple times, and we did not find anything that we found to be incorrect. But we realized that scientific facts change with new evidence, and we are happy to correct our mistakes when they come to light. Fact check or not, we are running out of time, and I promise that is my final exercising pun of the episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Know Some Stuff.